Welcome back to another episode of my XL podcast and I've got a very special guest, a good friend from back in the day. He's been such an inspiration to my career right up to the present day. We still gig together and I'm constantly amazed with his energy and excitement about dance music. You can catch the big man at 1994 Sounds of Eden on August the 31st. I hope you've got your ticket because it's about to sell out as they always do. Now, back to the show. Play the nine, nine number and the people get sick. Long overdue. Uh, welcome to a, a, a new episode of the podcast. My guest is good friend, Mr. Trevor Riley. Good morning, Mo. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, indeed, good morning. Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've kind of spoke, and we know this sort of down in this podcast, so we're basically uh-huh. going to be talking about your journey through music. Okay. And uh, like all good journeys, uh-huh. the start of the start. <laughs> okay, Jeez, oh. So how 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 um, how how did you feel about babysitting with Michael Jackson? That one. <laughs> yeah, his favourite song. I'm forever blowing bubbles. That great way to start a podcast. <laughs> Rewind. No. So I right. Uh, you know the drill it's just sitting down and getting yeah. your story mm-hmm. um, so like a young Trevor yep was there a defining moment or age or song that sort of spoke to you and went uh, what is this you know what, can, is there something you can remember from? absolutely 100% aye aye uh, the middle part of the story gets a bit blurry but the start is great <laughs> <laughs> the start of the end O'Neill uh, yeah yeah uh, I'll tell you when it was, in 1976, um, I'm not scared about giving my age away, but I was 16, uh-huh. um, 1976, I was in a friend's house in Troon, and I, his big brother was playing music, and it was this track it was from a band called Brass Construction, right. and I'd never heard anything like it in my life, all my friends were into rock music in, in you know, the 70s, and it was um, this band called Brass Construction, the track was called Moving, and it was basically funk. And it just blew me away. I just, I couldn't believe how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to find out more and more about it. And that was me. I was into, you know, I liked Stevie Wonder and all the Motown stuff. And I really got hooked on sort of soul music and, and funk. Was it that kind of James Brown kind of funk? James Brown as well, yeah. But um, that, that brass, I know the track, I probably need to, is, is it quite a big? Yeah. Was it one of these ones that just came out the blue and blew it? Everything away, sort of. It did, yeah. I can't remember what the album was called, um, but there was two particular tracks on it. One was called Moving, and one was called Changes, I think. Change, but just out and out funk, massive band, like twelve of them in the band, you know, mm-hmm. all playing sax and trumpet and all this, but but just brilliant. Right. And and I started, I, I was I started going to. Um, a club in, in the air called the da- well it was the Darlington Hotel and there was a disco there called Charisma Disco yes and it was all funk and they had live bands like Rakoto from from England this, these guys came up and you know it was it was just amazing ti- amazing time you know it's dis- si- 16 years of age yeah. as you going out into the real world yeah. just going what is all this this is uh, amazing absolutely and and then I, I um through my, my love of that kind of music and I, I started working I was working as a fisherman at the time and I met a guy in the pub one night uh, the classic met a guy in the pub one night story and, and he was selling he was selling a disco um, 
I'm all about disco. I'm all about disco. Right, right. And it, it was called Soul Searching. And it was like, you know, the cabinets and the wee box with your name in the front of it and all that, you know, with the lights. And a, and a, and a converted um, post office van, this wee rent. There's a whole package, the van and the disco and everything for 500 quid. Wow. And I was making loads of money. I was a fisherman, you know. Yeah. I was like, oh, here, I'll take that in my back pocket just now. <laughs> and I bought the whole thing. And uh, I started... DJing for my friends and their birthday parties and stuff like that. Um, so hold on, the van, all the gear was in the van. Aye. It wasn't like you drove the van into the club or no, that. No, no, the doors. no, 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 was, no. I just, I just bought the whole, the whole package. And I remember setting it up in my dad's garage, you know, and kidding on I was a DJ with aye, the, and aye. the mic and all that. Going, okay, what a small. You know. And I realised that that wasn't the voice you're supposed to use. That was, that, that's a classic as well, isn't it? You know. All right, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being in the clubs where you'd be talking to the DJ, and I'm like, hey, "You want a drink, mate?" I guess a pint of lager. I'm just going, "Okay, here we go." What's the what? I, just a pint of lager and a gin and tonic for me. What's the tonic? What's the what? The minute that mic got within about three inches of their mouth, their voice changed. Uh, I, I guess I'm a wee bit guilty of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, never noticed that. It's a transatlantic accent, I would uh, hasten to add. <laughs> I try not to do it. Um, well, I think that's what's great about your online presence. Oh, no, on the mic presence, uh, online presence. That's for the millennials out there. <laughs> uh, it's just because it is very much you yeah. talking on the mic. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a stronger connection. Whereas when I'm on the mic, I have this kind of pseudo American. Because I was just like trying to be Chuck D or Run yeah. DMC when I started, and uh, that kind of stuck. And it works. It, it works, I. But I always have that kind of. I, I wish it was me and me. Could I mm. don't don't get me wrong. The more drinks I get, the more kind of just raw yeah. it gets. But that's what for the for the first time I've ever heard you yeah. to right now. It's always been you, and I think that's. I think that, that makes a stronger connection because people know it's genuine, it's you. Yeah, and, and you know, it kind of develops into radio later on as well. Well, we can we'll get, get to that. that. Yeah, I'll tell a story about that We're too. We're still on the van. And I upgraded, I got a transit and got more speakers and, you know, it got bigger and bigger and uh -huh. it grew. Um, still kept the name Soul Searching. So you're, you're beginning in the 80s then with this and uh, with the 80s explosion? Late, late 70s, just going into the 80s. Right, right. Um, disco exploded. It was, I mean, it was I amazing. Was, that's you what know. I was going to say. We, you've obviously experienced that explosion, yeah. that movement. Yeah. Feel like I would imagine, you know, like pubs being boozers to like they become disc or wannabe discotheques, discotheques and everybody yeah. dressing up with yeah. the, the fucking shoulders and I all that. I thought it was a discotheque. I used to pronounce it all. A discotheque. I might see this new thing that's kind of a discotheque, man. A discotheque. What's he going on about? Discotheque. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I mean, how how did you just you're learning on your feet? Then you're taking your van, I, you're setting up, you're absolutely. doing bookings. It's all it's all seems to be that way for me. It's like winging it, you know. Uh -huh. I mean, everybody's winging it in a way. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, and I, I got a few residences like the Anchorage Hotel in Troon, uh -huh. uh, up in Temple Hill. I started doing a regular weekend yeah. spot in there, and that um, was it was great. Playing again, Funk Sister Sledge, you know, and then the Georgia Marauder stuff. Uh -huh. uh, Donna Summer, I feel love came out, and I was there for all that. Patrice Russian, and where, just, where are you sourcing your tunes for us? Where where are you going to find these tracks? Well, there was a 
there was a record store in Troon called Speed Records mm-hmm. and originally sort of buying stuff in there I can't I was trying to remember on the way here to how much it cost back then for a 12 inch single it, was, it wasn't it wasn't cheap either mm-hmm. back then I think it was a couple of quid or something it was a Aye. lot of money uh, even back then and and then because uh, the, you get your like chart singles that were like I remember like 45s being like pretty much a pound yeah I feel like John Menzies and things, right. things like that. Yeah, Woolworths, yeah, I used I, to get the chart in there, yeah. I, I was never aware of, like, 12 inches until probably, uh, it was maybe, like, that Paul Hardcastle 19 and stuff, uh-huh. when it was all about, like, t- the 12-inch mix, and yeah. it was like, fuck, Maxi this? singles. I was yeah. this big record, this is mega. Yeah. It's longer. Yeah. So, was there shops that were supplying DJ 12-inch records? It was, yeah. Yeah, specialist shops even back then, yeah, yeah. And so when you went to the club, you had your little Schweppes box, you know, the wee bottle boxes with your 7-inch singles uh-huh. in it, and then you had like, this big plastic crate with your, with your 12-inch singles in it. Was it TK Records? I think it was like in a really good funk label, and they did everything from sort of rap stuff like yeah. and, and, the, and then Sugar Hill Gang and aye. all that kind of come out of that remember McFadden and Whitehead ain't no stopping us now oh, aye, aye. I've been on for about three days that track <laughs> <laughs> that was good when you were ready for a pee <laughs> exactly yeah. so uh, yeah it was, a, it was a great time uh, in music and, and even now when I hear samples of tracks that have been sampled and resampled and resampled I can trace them right back to, to funk in the early 70s I, that, I really enjoy that bit of digging sort of thing you know even like hearing a track and you go that's weird or even they've been influenced by that yeah. and it's came through that and it's, yep. that's just through years of digging isn't it yeah absolutely so I mean you've went through all the 80s kind of thing and you're you're, you're probably still working in and the, the DJing's very much a hobby DJing was a hobby yeah it never, it never hobby uh, slash great night out yeah thing. great night out yeah um, and I just loved the fact that I was entertaining people uh-huh. I got that real buzz from giving people a good time and, and you know it was always a challenge you know right. and especially then you know you, you weren't mixing you know there was no very speed decks or anything yep. you know um, so you, you weren't really mixing so your tune choice was really important that's where you sort of learned how to which is the basics of DJ control the crowd your yeah. tune selection isn't it yeah absolutely and absolutely. thinking maybe two or three ahead I'm mm-hmm. going to play that to mm-hmm. get to that and, and doing the tacking and the mixing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I remember when I said he's a good DJ does it tacking and the mixing <laughs> did you keep it for in between aye, aye. so that, that was the thing you, you had to you know, back then you were introducing the tracks uh-huh. and telling folk what they were and you know and giving shout outs and all that kind of stuff so big up to Sandra she's in here with her friends yeah, yeah. Yeah. All about Sandra. And your husband's furniture's in the front garden. <laughs> Very odd shout she used to get. <laughs> Big so. up to Barbara getting fingered in the toilet. <laughs> I'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> what was that tune that lasted for three days? Ain't no stoppers now. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara's got fond memories of that one. So yeah, and, and uh, I, I, I kind of gave up on it. There was a point where um, I got married, uh-huh. and I was looking for kind of a career. Yep. And moving on from the fishing industry, I get into aquaculture, to salmon farming, and I moved to the Outer Hebrides, and it meant kind of giving up DJing at that point. Sold all this, all the kit, and I still had all my records and stuff like that. But that was. Did that, you sell the van that to another fisherman at the same bar? Uh, pass, <laughs> passing it on, can I? Think. <laughs> I just, the door opens, there's a bellow of wind. <laughs> I'll tell you this, boy. I'll tell you. I, 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 do you know, I honestly can't remember where it went. I can't remember no. who bought it. 
I think it was like Ian Kilmarnock. I can't remember. But the thing for me, and I was thinking about this again on the way here this morning, I, I, wouldn't, say, I, I wouldn't say I was flighty or anything, but I think because I've had other interests in life as well, uh-huh. I've been pulled in different directions throughout my life. Um, you know, my, my great passions are music and the sea. They're the two real, for me, things that really interest me. And and, I, and there's always been this battle between the two, pulling me one way or the other. Yep. And it's still going on to uh-huh. this day. Um, and at that point, the sea and my career won. Um, and I moved to the Outer Hebrides and stayed there until I was, geez, oh, I was nearly 30 before I... What kind of year is this? That, I went out there about the early, I went out there in the early 80s and I came back, I moved back to Troon in, I think it was 89. 89. 89's a significant year. Yep. When, when you sort of came back, was, you know, you're pretty much knee deep in the sort of dance music explosion. Yeah. Was music always kind of there in the background? Always. Or you, aye. Always. So you'd always kind of kept a toe in and just listen to what's going on. Yeah, and totally. Yeah. So then when you when you came back, was you quickly back into DJing Straight again? Away. Immediately, aye. yeah. I, I, um, a, a friend of mine um, in Ayr uh, got wind that I was back and contacted me and asked me if I wanted to come and DJ full time at the Bobby Jones in Ayr. Oh, right. And that's how I, I landed up there. And so it's straight from the Outer Hebrides yeah. and then you're doing it at the Bobby yeah. Jones which yeah. for anybody no known was pretty much a kind of landmark club in Ayr, yeah. Scotland big club aye. Yeah. Um, a, capacity, a, a huge club yeah. Aye, aye. Yeah. 89 so that's mm-hmm. huge and, and so you're are you still playing commercial or are you st- t- dipping your toe in dance what's uh, happening in- to get the job uh-huh. I, I played commercial yep. but I soon started to f- sort of find my own path uh-huh. um, without going you know sort of disappearing up my own arse uh-huh. I feel like I, I, I tried to you know yeah dance music was really exploding at that point um, you know the rave culture was just about to well it had you know the, yeah. the summer of love had happened and it's uh, filtering up slowly yeah. in Scotland pockets of Scotland are. absolutely and I found myself really attracted to the kind of harder edge of, of dance music mm-hmm. uh, the I, more I rave sound guys, rave yeah, I mean don't get me wrong I, I love you know as I said, because of I originally came from this sort of funk and disco scene I still I love house music and you know funk I, I could go to a club and dance to house music all night long mm-hmm. um, but to play I, I was wanting something a bit more challenging and something that you get a bit more atmosphere out of and, yep. and Rave did that for me when it came along Was there a you know you're in, you're in the Bobby Jones you're doing your residency you're also playing a bit of commercial mm-hmm. Are you noticing a kind of sea change in the crowd? Yeah. And people are maybe asking you for certain dance tracks or and or is there a track that you've got that you can see like there was a turning point for you as a DJ that, you know, that tracks came along that's kind of pushed you. You've seen the crowd reaction. It sticks in your memory, basically. It's like a good... A I mean, good rave track. It doesn't, no, it doesn't need to be a rave track. Well, it could be like a dance there's, track there's or... There's a couple of rave tracks that kind of stick in my mind. And, and you know, um, remember LA style, James Brown is dead. Uh, yeah. Remember that? And That was and a big stabby riff and all that, wasn't it? That, I always remember that. And, and Adamski, stuff from Adamski. Um, NRG, that yep. track. That and, was huge. Well, what else was there? The Lucas bottle on the 12-inch and everything. Aye. Praga can injected with yep. a poison when that came out, and of course, down the other side of the coast, you know, Joe was at the the metro by this point, I think, um, mm-hmm. and I remember 
one of the big influences for me was going to one of his Sunday all dayers. Um, is that John Street? Or was that, oh, right, the, that's the in the Metro all dayers? Aye, aye, aye. And he had uh, he had these Sunday all dayers. Dave Kalikas, Mark Smith, Michael Kilke. And I could not believe what I was seeing. It was just incredible. The uh-huh. atmosphere was just out of this world. It really, yeah. really had a big influence on me. And I, and I went back to the Bobby Jones going, right, I know what I'm, I know what I'm doing I've now. seen the future. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was it was fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, and that, that then really pushed me on towards trying to recreate that atmosphere in, in the Bobbies. Was you, at that time, I, I would have been like a, a young raver on the dance mm-hmm. floor. Was you mm-hmm. on the dance floor or was you just kind of more checking out on a work? Was it a night out as well? A bit of both. I think it depends how, uh, what kind of condition <laughs> I was in. Uh, I, I mean, I like to get up on the dance floor yeah, as well. I mean, sometimes even when I was DJing, I'd be like, that's right, I'm away up. Oh, what are you doing here? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that, and that that really pushed me on, and I I, I started taking kind of the Bobby Jones within I don't know a few months after seeing that was pretty much full on uh-huh. rave, and I got away with it. But yeah. so will we will we cut here and you can, we'll maybe play one of the early funk records and what or what would you like to play a couple of tracks from to mark that pocket? Wow, of time. Have you got a good collection here, have you? Well, I'm hoping you've maybe got a USB pen. No, <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll find them between the two is. Let, let's find McFadden and Whitehead. Ain't no stopping us now. Right. We're going for the dinner on. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe another another kind of rave one. A rave one, okay. The James uh, Brown or? Yeah, yeah, James Brown. LA style. Let's, let's hear that. Right, we'll play them and then we'll come back for another chat. Cool, okay.
has a negative vibe And if you're trying to make it, they only push you aside They really don't have nowhere to go Ask them where they're going, they don't know But we won't let nothing hold us back We're gonna put our show together, gonna polish up our act
big tracks here for your, the start of your journey. Yeah, yeah. So you're at the Bobby Jones, you're, you're, you're fully immersing yourself in mm-hmm. this new dance music sort yep. of style, seeing yep. a big change in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Was there a was there a, a year or a date that it just became start to finish, this is a dance club and, I, and I'm, you know, I'm running it the way it's, you know, in I, your mind, the way you want to take it? I, I think it was 1990. I think uh, it was 90. It, I think I came, I came for a few nights mm-hmm. just as a raver. Uh-huh. And it probably would have been about mm-hmm. that. And it yeah. was all, I'm sure it was all dance. It was dance, full on. And it was, and I mean, it was rammed every Saturday. Aye. You know, I mean, now, you know, you know yourself, you're putting on events and you've got to kind of spread them out throughout the year to guarantee that they're going to be full. And, you know, we were every Saturday night, a thousand people in there. Every Saturday it was a sweat box. Um, Such a great time. It was amazing. I know. I don't think it's going to be ever recreated because mm-hmm. at that time people had to come and source guys out like yourself that yeah. was playing the music that they loved didn't necessarily know where to get it mm-hmm. wasn't it on the radio wasn't it on internet yeah. wasn't it on TV well, and that brings me to something else I mean at that time I also um, started working at 23rd Precinct in, in Glasgow ah, okay. so I was basically and that was me that, that was me at the beginning of my guess my full time music DJ career yeah. I had my job in 23rd that I worked you know sort of Tuesday to Saturday and then I was, I was just taking all the upfront tunes weren't exactly. it <laughs> exactly I tell you that was such a great time um, to be to how did you get that job how, how did that come uh, because I was going in there and buying music and I got to know Billy Kilty and all the staff I knew Michael Kilkey the DJ I, you know I'd work with him. I was working with him quite a bit as well he was behind the counter and I just, I just knew if I want access to the best tunes, this right. is the place to be. Um, and you know, when a slot came up, I said to Billy, you know, can I, you know, get a job here? And absolutely, that was, that was me. I started. All, all the wages you're getting, is getting ploughed back into the shop. Well, you know what? I'm thinking it. back then. I mean, a 12-inch single back then was like seven quid. You know, back in. It was a lot of money. Import some of these Japanese people, you know, the, like the jazz funk guys were coming in paying like 12 quid for a Japanese import Aye. 12 inch single. It was unbelievable. And people had, you know, tick bills of thousands, Aye. you know, um, you know, you're spending a hundred pounds a week. I, you know, I'm, I'm breaking my heart now if I spend 10 pounds on Beatport a week, you know. Jesus. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I remember I was, I was Michael's been on the show uh, and he was telling us. That obviously there was favoured DJs that got their, their bags made up and all that, uh-huh. and then obviously all you guys working there had first pick the sneakies, yeah, aye, the sneakies, yeah. and then he was like, he goes, it's just the way it was because I remember being that wee guy that genuinely could only afford one, two a push mm-hmm. to buy the records. Yeah, I was at YTS, and that was a big deal for me, but yeah. I always hated. I wasn't getting any love. I wasn't getting the sneakies, you know. Yeah. But I get it. It's yeah. business. I, I, I tell and you, it was, how, so, it was so demoralised. It, it was almost like a kind of <laughs> mystical thing that went on in there. And how it worked, really, that everybody that worked in the shop had a different sort of responsibility of genre or of music, or, or some somewhere on imports. Colin Tevendale was uh, famously on the uh, Euro imports, and so he got access to amazing music um, and he was a buyer so I was a buyer for UK uh-huh. I, I was buying Breakbeat and uh, Jungle I had no clue what I was doing <laughs> Jungle <laughs> and that time you're hearing stuff over the phone all that for yeah, distributors they and play them down yeah. the phone and you've got to tell them how many you want so it was like you know we're doing a five and one if you buy five you get one free I said if you buy five you get one free that's what I was don't forget to tell them Tony sent you <laughs> 
I said, if you buy one, you get one free. And that's what it was. And you see, it's a 30 foot cock and balls, man. <laughs> so you had like 20 seconds of this track to do it down the oh, phone right. on this crackly old line, how many you wanted. And uh, that could actually thank go God. to somebody and blow their mind. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a bit, there's a bit of responsibility but, but there. What happened is, well, you got to know your customers. So you were buying for a particular group of people right. as well. So you might have you might have 100 DJs that were coming in that week and you would know what they were looking for. Uh -huh. You'd have a good idea of what they were looking for. You would hope that you would pick the right tracks yeah. and that you would order the right amount as well that you weren't going to be left with mountains of vinyl at the end of a Saturday night then would you get so, your ass kicked if you yeah, had, had you, they sold what you, you you wouldn't be popular yeah Billy would get pretty rattled if you mm. you know a lot of them were sale or return which was great you could send them back but some weren't and sometimes you were landed with stuff that ended up in the 50p bin uh -huh. um, so there was a big you know it was quite an organised yeah. uh, shop and we all played our part in it um, but yeah, and, and what you used to get as well was you'd get a package sent up of one-offs for the DJs to listen to. You know, it's particularly the Euro stuff, and that's where the real sneakies come in because yeah. you would get one of, and it might have been a cracker, it might have been an absolute better of a tune, and quite label. Aye, and and what the DJ might do is sit on it for a couple of months. He would have it, not order any of it. And everybody's going, where, where do you get that? Oh, I don't know, mate. It's just a white label. I've, I've, he, I've, knows. Done, I've done, he knows full well where it uh -huh. came from. And then eventually, once he'd ripped a hole, is it then? Because you no get... disrespect, Colin, but you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I knew exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but see, the thing is, that, and then on the strength of that and, and your tunes, that's how you get the bookings as well, isn't it? Yeah. He's got that tune. Exclusive track. The sets, the music. Yeah. And yeah. So that's what it was all about. Aye, aye. And, and getting it, that first tune yeah. and getting it played out. And it, no, when I. Uh, later on, um, when I was DJing with Colin uh, up at the Bullion, we can come with that as well, but the Boulevard on a Sunday night, and Colin just had access to the most amazing tracks. Are you getting tracks sent to your... I mean, there's a lot... Once you get on the, the DJ, you're on the map, you're getting a lot of promos sent to your house as well. Yeah. Straight yep. to your door. Yep. Yeah, I remember the packages coming right. through with all the returns on them, and you've got to fill out the return and what you think yep. of it, and whether you're playing it or not or whether it's fax mint. back the, yeah. the feedback faxing them I know I know and it was like, that was great it saved you a lot of money you know getting getting the, uh -huh. you know, all the mailing lists you know so I mean you, you, you still get mailed out stuff digitally yep. um, but yeah back then it was nice to get stuff through the post Royal Mail must have been Woof. loving it the yeah. dance explosion uh -huh. you know where all the uh -huh. promo records I'm are getting posted everywhere to try and fold them and put them through the letterbox you know fucking hell <laughs> And still probably a couple <laughs> once he once he cottoned on yeah. it, what was going on? Yeah, think back to the labels back then, you're positive on huge tunes uh, and these great labels. At that time just churning out so yeah. many amazing records. Fantastic. Yep. So you're ninety nine, you walk the twenty third precinct, the Bobby Jones has gone well. Mm -hmm. What was what was it was there a time when you just felt this is it? Um, you know that, that kind of feeling you go, Wow, this is what I'm I'm I'm, I'm in this. Yeah. I'm doing this. It was then I realised I, I, I made my mind up then I wanted to be a professional DJ mm -hmm. and, and, and I also wanted to learn to produce music uh -huh. I just didn't know how at that point it wasn't until I moved to Hangar that I discovered how to produce music I, I didn't have a clue about computers and stuff at that point How did all that come about? You know like so from the success of the Bobbies, are you then getting asked for the, what, the Boulevard and Clyde Bank? And no, that was later. Come, that was it? later, yeah. I mean, what happened, um, the Bobbies was owned by a family called the Taylors down in, in there. They owned it and they sold it to Carnegie's while I was resident in there. Um, and it was, I, I, I almost lost my job. In fact, I did lose my job. When Carnegie's bought the Bobby Jones, I lost my job for a week. Um, they 
fired me the first week they took over. They just want to clean out, put their own guys in they or did, whatever? yeah. Um, and it, I don't think it went too well because the following week they phoned me up and asked me to come back and that was great uh, to get back in and basically... Of course, because they had a formula, you know, music, commercial music that they wanted to stick to, but it wasn't going to work there at that point. So they just took me back and said, look, say what you want, play what you want, just keep the place busy. And that was great. I had my job back. You know, and a free for all. Uh, so the high working. and low thing, you know, it was, you know, that was a really low week for me thinking, mm-hmm. God, that's not over already. Um, but I got back in and just went at it again. And they had a PR guy called Dennis McBride who would come down he was PRing for all their clubs and pubs and he came down to the Bobbies and he was like oh, this is amazing and he said Trevor do you know there's this, there's this event on in Glasgow tonight called Love at the Plaza that's right yeah. and uh, he said do you want to come up and play uh, you're not on the bill or anything like I said but when you finish at the Bobbies the Plaza was on till like 6 it's or 7 in the morning he said come on get in, get in the car come on up to, to Glasgow with me so when I finished at the Bobbies I just took my set and like LA style and hard floor and all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. and, and went up and I got on I was on last or second last and I started doing that on a regular basis and getting up and playing not on the bill but just going up and doing a wee kind of sneaky set mm-hmm. and Dennis must have seen something in me because he was like you know you're great at what you do you know, was you on the mic then as well was yeah, you doing a yeah, bit of mic work not so much a bit, a bit mm-hmm. but not so much more tra- concentrating on the mixing rail and attacking <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so he He's like, look, you should be doing your own thing. Why don't we? Why don't we do something? And uh, that was when the idea came up to go to Air Pavilion. Was that a venue? Was what was that at the time? So Air Pavilion, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a music venue. Um, Ricky had uh, Street Rave in there at, at that time. Right. Um, he was doing all the big things like the airport and the ice rink, and he had all these amazing events on. And there was also, I mean, there was things like. Uh, on a Thursday night you'd grab a granny it was called yeah. you know, grab a granny so a, pretty much a ballroom kind yeah, of sketch yeah, wasn't yeah. it like a ballroom uh, a dancing classic, and I it's a classic um, beach you know uh, what's it called I don't know what's the word for it pavilion aye, <laughs> aye that's it beach pavilion, beach pavilion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so great venue you know historical venue yeah. huge balcony up the stair uh-huh. and all the rest of it so we went down to see them what 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 put that on your radar just because maybe like so street raves, a few things have been. Well, we, we, I went to a couple of street rave uh-huh. nights, and you know, if I'm being honest, I never actually enjoyed it. I thought mm-hmm. it was really moody. And well, when Hanger kicked off, I was thinking, up there, what's a bit? Well, we had, we we had heard at that point that they were thinking about leaving right. uh, the provided We got word that they, you know it, was, it had run its course there, and they uh-huh. were thinking about leaving. And I think at that point there was a new market opening up. Uh, the rave thing, the really? rave market was just about to kick off. And, and we believed that, you know, if we went down there, we could do, really do shape it for ourselves. You know, all of these bands and artists from Europe and around the world that hadn't been to Scotland, our plan was to bring them to yep. Scotland and introduce them to the Scottish rave scene. And that's that's really what we did. We just made a plan and we carried it and we executed it, you right. know. And Interesting, but as well, how it was also the first maybe fraction of... But the you know that house has gone one way. Yeah. The new the bad boys raves coming in. You know, know, like, uh, you know the genres are starting yeah. to appear and split. Yeah. It did have that bad boy image as well, especially hanger with the, the sort of tougher edge of mm-hmm. of of rave. And uh, interestingly, the, the music policy at hanger um, right across the board. I mean, I was playing Robin S. Show me love at the mm-hmm. start of the night, and you know, you know we were playing house music. And we we're playing Italian piano house. We were playing. 
But then you again, know. it was very much which I think all good nights need to be. It needs to be structured. Aye. You know, you had it like a proper like, warm up. I proper warm up was building to get yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Almost like a record itself had a beginning, middle, yeah. and end. Because yeah. the thing that I hated is like going into a club and it just started, and yeah. it was just like, where yeah. do you go for that? I know, I know, I know. No foreplay. Nah, there's no nah. tickling. Nah. <laughs> but there's no goosebumps. Like. <laughs> so, that, I mean, before we go to hangar, I don't, it's one of those, again, you're probably sick of, he, you know, you probably know, because it's a pivotal mo- moment for, it's one of them, you had to be there sort of gigs. I don't know if I was actually there on the night, mm-hmm. but I remember being at Bobby's, I, I don't even know if Ultrasonic had played that night, but I'm there, and you had played, um, half period. Yeah. Now, before that, I had only had a cassette promo of the albums for some guy who got it for some guy, uh-huh. and I'd never heard any hard floor played in mm-hmm. any club. Mm-hmm. I just knew this uh, mental tape, yep. uh, and I knew it so well that the cassette ended during the break doing one of the hard floor songs right. and I had to wait to the car flip to, to get back in it always anyway uh-huh. that's so you playing it and I think you played it twice, twice. on the night I did yep back was to that, back was that the was that the first time you'd played that record absolutely yep because that I got it in 23rd that day that just blew yeah. the roof yeah. aye and and and, and, and I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I, I mean, and even like, you know, to hear it on the big sound system, knowing it's melting folks' brains mm-hmm. and doing the damage, and then even for you, sort of almost setting down the blueprints for what you would take on today at yep. Hangar 13. Yep. You know, I was, I was just like, you know, like, Sex Pistols, I, I was there at that gig in London. Yeah. Can I, I think that was a very yeah. much Scottish moment. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And I... When I heard the track that day in 23rd Precinct on Heart House Records, I remember getting a hold of it and playing it, and I played it all day in 23rd. I must have sold, I don't know how many copies I sold that day of it. Um, and so it's not even a white, it came in a genuine release? A genuine release, right. yeah. Import? Yep, German import, Heart House Records. And I thought, I'm going to I'm going to play this at the end of the night, I'm going to play it. I was a very bit nervous about playing it, because it was, it was like nothing else MB had heard before. Uh-huh. And I was quite nervous about playing it, and... When I started it at the end, and that bass line kicked in, that rolling bass line, and, and every, every, I could see the whole crowd going for it. I was like, it's oh, unlike anything else I know, get, played at that I time. Know. And it was, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, this is, and they were up on the podiums. Malcolm was on a on a, a podium. Uh-huh. I'm sure he was on the podium I to my right hand Malcolm, side. He said he was there that yeah, night. And he lost his shit. I mean, it was really, it was, and you know, that huge snare roll, uh-huh. big snare roll, and, and just went on three, forever. Yeah, and uh, the, you know, the strobes going, and, it, I was looking at it going, my God, look uh-huh. at this. It was incredible. And when it came to the end, it was the end of the night, and I could see everybody was like, well, we're not done yet. I just lifted the needle and put it back to the beginning. Went, Let's go again. And just, and the, and the same reaction the second uh-huh. time. And I even actually know guys who were working in the bar that night uh-huh. and it rock music. Mm-hmm. And that convert that night converted, converted them to dance music. Wow. They were bastards and wow. the Bobby Jones. Wow. Mad, innit? Yeah. And that track in itself almost recreated the wheel when it came to yeah. what was done with the 303 yeah. and... And the structure of the track Aye. and those big intense build-ups. Aye. First time you'd ever heard like maybe 32 bar snare rolls and all that, you just go, what the fuck? That's <laughs> That's, you're not allowed to do that long. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, it, but it sounds good. <laughs> it sounded amazing. Aye. And the Bobbies had a good sound system at that uh-huh. point as well, which helped. And you're yeah. just, 
stunned back going fucking Aye, just looking at it unfold wild. yeah the whole packed dance floor upstairs everybody cheering uh-huh. the strobes going with a great light Jock Kerzo the guy in the lights had a laser and all that in the bobby said it just was a moment it really was Aye. an amazing moment um, and what would that be 93, 94 when, when we uh, yeah about that yeah 92, 93 maybe 92, 93 I think so I think so wow. need to check that's when it starts to get a bit hazy aye now we're getting in hazy yeah, territory yeah, yeah, so yeah. what year's higher kicking off is that 94 93, 94 93, 94 aye and I, I remember even like so you know you, it was all very secretive yeah this club's nights opening yeah. and all that and then it was like the the shutter door the, 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 the shutter door yeah. that's right it was it TTF it was the only yeah, the first night, night. Yeah. Yeah. and uh, th- then the flyers come out and it was that kind of where is, it, where is this place kind of thing I don't I never I, went, I think I was working anyway I never mm-hmm. went the first night but for the get go is it just rammed rocking yeah it was rammed I mean I, it was su- such a nerve wracking experience I mean I've never really been a promoter um, I've always been a DJ and don't really fancy myself as a promoter I don't like the stress of it right. Um, but I was heavily involved in the start of Hang On, getting it going. And so, is it you, Dennis, and me, Fraser? Dennis and Fraser? Yeah. And we would meet and we would discuss. And basically, I was I was the musical input. Who do we book, Trevor? What's the big tracks? What's what, what we very much going on? The let's get this guy well, in because like, the tunes are amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I had to source people. I had to go and find out who was doing what and what produced what DJs were fax available. Fax numbers on record. Yeah, Ramirez and all these guys. Uh, Hi, Italian fax numbers and getting in touch with people. And it was a, it was an untapped market. Nobody had th- really thought of doing it. I don't yeah. think you know we had the Scottish rave scene yourselves, Ultrasonic, Qtex, Rhythmic State, all of these bands who all played Hanger. Uh-huh. But we wanted to bring the Euro yep. artists over as well which was a bit of a headache at times but it was worth it and it you know captured people's imagination Aye. certainly helped uh, what you know like it's dead easy to just fall into like and repeat what everything else is doing and it was certainly like gain somebody something they might necessarily know who that act is yeah but then they go and it opens up a full new fucking yeah. wow check it out mm-hmm. and, oh and that's the guy that did that record yeah. that he plays and connects the dots yeah. and opens up an RV avenue for somebody to explore musically kind of thing absolutely yeah and it opened it up for other clubs as well I mean people Aye. you know the Foo Bar and you know I'm sure Joe booked a lot of the guy I mean Joe came down to Hangar and had a look at I can't remember what night he arrived but we had a couple of Euro artists on and uh-huh. I was down to see what was you going on as well. see what's going on yeah. at the other side yeah. there, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. But um, brilliant times as well. Like, see, even for, for like, you know, at, we're sort of both kind of brought up in the Ayrshire sort of uh-huh. neck of the woods. To have two such amazing clubs yeah. and two different DJs, but two such amazing DJs yeah. and yourself and Joe mm-hmm. in Ayrshire. Yeah. You know, like, Glasgow was always se- a secondary thought for mm-hmm. me, you know, like because mm-hmm. it was on my doorstep. It was either a, a night in air or a night in Salkos. Yeah. It, it was a no-brainer. And, bo- and both clubs pulled heavily from the central belt from Aye. Glasgow. Thousands. I don't know, maybe for the people from Glasgow and surrounding area, it was this sense of adventure for getting away down to the coast, going on a bus and getting, yeah, and getting down to the seaside. Yeah. A bit of that as well. <laughs> Both clubs next to the sea. Yeah, as absolutely. Well. Aye, mm-hmm. it's the sea air, man. So maybe there was something in that that getting away from Glasgow for a uh-huh. night. Um, so then hangers just gone nuts. Is that when you're starting to get bookings from other people and other nightclubs? Little bits and pieces. Uh, Hangers were pretty strict about that as well. That they didn't. I wasn't. 
they weren't keen on letting you, me go. Right, right. <clears throat> um, but it, d- just to go, to go back to the first night, I, I, you know, the hype for it, you're talking about the hype and the, you know that unfolding flyer or the door coming up and all the rest of it, and we're trying to create this huge buzz. And this is, of course, before social media. There was no social media. You know, his foot to the floor. Was, that, was getting it, that about? The internet was even started no. yet. <laughs> Fax machines was as high tech as it got. So the, the way of, you know, that was the, the way of getting your. Um, your adverts out there was through flyers um, and hard work people on the ground at events giving out flyers and, and word of mouth and creating a hype and yeah. maybe a bit of press as well um, and local papers yeah and- so and, and radio possibly mm-hmm. but it was nerve wracking I, I didn't enjoy that side of it you know and I remember um I was at my mum and dad's in Troon on the Saturday afternoon and I was that nervous I couldn't drive. My nerves were shattered. I just, I couldn't drive. I, I, I'm not safe. Aye. And, um, just getting too much. Aye. Wow. Well. The build-up had just been too much. I was exhausted and I had to get my dad to drive me to air, uh-huh. to the pavilion. And I remember coming round the air, the big council buildings. I remember turning the corner and coming down and looking down at, uh, at the air pavilion and there was a thousand people outside. I, I burst into tears. Wow. You know, I just I couldn't believe it because it's something you're working so hard to to this. You're working towards this yeah. date, that, that date, and and not knowing it was either, you know, nothing worse than nothing worse than failure when you yeah. put so much work into yeah. it. But to see all those people waiting outside hangar and cheering and everybody that the, the excitement uh-huh. it was was. Unbelievable! Right. And I went. The doors hadn't opened yet, and I went inside, and and that was the other thing. Was of course Neil Skinner was now on board as he was going to be the MC, and Davy Forbes, and they were waiting inside, and the three of us were like little kids. And were like, my God, have you looked out there? Have you right. seen what's what's waiting? Let's to open the doors yeah, now. <laughs> it, it was just the most amazing, one of the most amazing nights of my life. Uh-huh. Um, to experience that so you open the door flooded in and flooded it's just in like the nerves are gone you're just the plan pleasant. we executed the plan Neil did the most perfect warm up and we wait you know just nice and easy slow build up everybody coming in getting to know each other the atmosphere was just fantastic anybody that was there will remember it and uh, I can't remember what time I, I, I went on but my first tune was Love for Sale do you feel wow, so right. and, and just the place just erupted you know that melody came in and and that was it. We were off and running, and we had the night of our lives. TTF were brilliant that night as well. You know that they were, they were you know, the so career. popular. Um, they put on a great show. Um, the only the horrible thing that night was I remember Gillian, the dancer, she fell off the, uh, that big stage. I, right, and she fell right down between the stage and the speakers. I mean, oh. it was horrific. She hurt herself. Aye. Um, she kind of limped off. Like I mean, she got helped out, but it was a horrible moment um, seeing her fall like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but other than that, it, it was a it was a terrific night. I went home and I was just on cloud nine. Aye. Yeah. Just totally, just smiling for days after yeah. it, kind of thing, aye. And, and the thing was, we had this, we were really organised, you know, it, we, we had the flyers ready that night to give out everybody for the forthcoming, you know, the next two months of, I think the idea was we were going to book a Euro, a Euro band every month and maybe like a Scottish band every second week and, uh-huh. and try and keep the hype going, keep it yep, going. Yep. We didn't want it to be too reliant. So, and, you know, so people, if there was nothing on then they wouldn't come. So we wanted them there every week um, and they did. Right. You know, again, a thousand, a thousand people a week. On the hangar first birthday party, I can't, I wouldn't want to say how many people were there on that, that first birthday party. Right. But that, that was just off the scale with a human resource. And Qtex were on that night as yeah. well. Uh, and we've had, of course, we had hard floor there. I mean, yeah. there's some of the bands that came. I, and I remember the hard floor gig. In I the remember seeing your face. 
<laughs> we left to some gig to go down and see it, yeah. and uh, they they forgot some plug or they never the German plug. I I, I was well for the AKS nine fifty sample. That's right. Nothing would work. Uh-huh. Uh, nothing, and and they also didn't have. Uh, it's, uh, you have Juno one oh six keyboard and. Uh, I said, I, you know, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> I went back in the car to and I got him a Juno 106. Uh, and that was just and for, played that, the string that was for the string on, uh, on experience. Amazing. And they, they were incredible. Aye. Um, I, I remember you telling to me and going, can you go and get your Akai S950 lead? Mm-hmm. The drive was maybe like 40 minutes mm-hmm. there. So it'd be like a two-hour journey. And mm-hmm. I was like, Aye, but mm. you know, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd have a bag it. in time. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, are they going to do it? And I think they'd done something mad like they actually took the I plug think off and the wired wires, it. Yeah, 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 and stuffed the wires into the hole. Aye. Yep. And uh, watching, yeah, I, I, I would just watch it for the side, like mm. everybody, just mm-hmm. in awe. Yeah. Of these guys. I with remember these seeing you and Roger to the, to the right-hand side Aye. of the stage, just just going eyes wow. like that. That's what you do with the boxes. Yeah. And the two of them, they're the both in sync, the way they danced together, uh-huh. the, the feet, the wee shuffle uh-huh. going. Amazing. Uh, they, were just, they were just phenomenal. Uh, really, really quiet guys yeah. as well. Yeah. We went only doing loads of gigs with them in Germany, and they were always just the two quiet guys sitting in the corner mm-hmm. at the rave. You know, where, I don't know if it's a Scottish mentality, you did a gig then, you're there to party. Mm-hmm. And they would just be like, hello. They're very sensible. Aye, yeah. very sensible. I remember German mentality. I, I, was, I was really dying to speak to them about how they produced their music. And I remember mm-hmm. the classic question I asked them. I said, you know, so at the end of the album, Raymond, I was sweat built. Off my head. Seen the 303. How did you get the notes to slide like that? How did you get them to do that slide thing? Went, ah, with the slide button. I never. Cheers. All the best. Take care. Take care. Take care. All the best. Slide button. Um, so, will we cut and we'll, uh, we'll play a couple of tracks with the days? Oh, experience has got to go on there. It's right? got to be done, yeah, isn't let's it? Let's get that on there. Play the 99 number and the people get sick.
Track, me neither. It's amazing. And I don't think 
You couldn't remix it. You couldn't remix it. No. You, uh, you couldn't date anything with what's already been done. Yeah, with it's it. like the holy grail of acid tracks, Aye, isn't it? it? Is, definitely yeah. is. I think if MD tries to remix that, they should be shot. You know what? I heard one remix. And I went, that's actually not too bad, right. but it still was no, you uh-huh. know, like, I, I, I still wouldn't go, mm-hmm. I'm going to play, yeah. I, you know, you, if you're going to play, you're going to play that. Yeah. Um, was it at that point that that sort of sparked an interest in you getting into production, or was that before that? Yeah, um, around that time, um, Davy and I and Neil were very interested to get our own little vibe going. Uh-huh. Um, we just didn't really know how to go about it. Um and I think it was, it may have been, it may have been Hard Floor or may have been Die Witness. Somebody had a keyboard, the EPS, and Sonic EPS 16 plus. I remember mm-hmm. meeting you and Neil in LaBelle or whatever it is in Presswick. Mm-hmm. And you were saying, what do I need to get mm-hmm. or something? Uh-huh. And I had just bought my EPS 16 plus. Right. And I'd been writing things like the ultrasonic track, awesome. And all right. these sort of cheeky rave things, right. sample based tracks. Right. And I said, you want to get one of these boys? Right, also, it was you that told us to get I'm sure I came to your house in Trune after uh-huh. you bought it right. to kind of show you how to work it. Uh-huh. And I didn't even know how to uh-huh. work it other than loading up the samples. Uh-huh. And I remember Neil saying to me, how'd you get that uh, that beat on the on the break beat? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was like, that's just a kick drum and a mm-hmm, hi-hat mm-hmm, with a break beat. Uh-huh. And I remember him kind of going, mm-hmm. how easy it is, but yeah. that's how easy it was, yeah. you know, like with yeah. these machines. Yep. But I don't, I don't know if that was it also run about the time because mm-hmm. I remember you had it. Yeah, that was the first thing we got, and we we we. we the wrote, only thing at the time was yeah, that the first bit. Of that was it. That was all we had. We did the hanger EP on that. Because um, that machine even inspired David to get into production as did. well, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean that, that's. He, I'm thinking, in fact, on uh, social media, he posted a picture of an EPS uh-huh. 16 plus the other day, saying that was his most influential. I wish I had still all my. The floppy disk. Oh my disk for that. Yeah, yeah. The ESQ one and Sony ESQ one. And uh, a rolling drum machine was my first mm-hmm. setup, mm-hmm. and, I, and I got that after like watching a dam skate at the mm-hmm. metro. Right. And nobody would tell you what you needed, and, mm-hmm. I, and I wrote them down <laughs> and just go that and sort because I thought that's that's mm-hmm. what you do, that's what you need to do. Yeah. And I think it was Billy Reed who had bought an EPS 16 Plus as well. Right. They weren't cheap either, no, they were grand or something. No, I think it was even more than that, Trevor. Mm-hmm. I think to buy sound control, I think they were about two grand odd mm-hmm. new. I can't remember. Us. Maybe sixteen on a pound. Yeah. Well, the the next thing for me really was um, we got invited. Neil and I got invited over to Holland to record a track with Die Witness because they came and played Hanger. They and played Hanger a couple of times. You get a rapport with and, and they. They loved it. They loved the atmosphere of Hanger. And they liked what we were doing, and and the crowd noise and mm, just the energy yeah. of the club. And the, I think that my sort of meal ticket was that I had two three o threes. Two at that time. I, I, at that time, I had bought two three o threes. I remember seeing an advert in the paper, one of the, the music papers, and it was three o threes for sale in London, and uh, they were like five hundred quid each. And swoop, I phoned the guy straight away. I said, "I'm, I'm on the, I'm coming. I'm, I'll be on the train." And I met him. I can't remember what station it was, Houston Station or something. Met him. Some dodgy drug deal, you know. And I met him and gave him a grand for these two, and they were brand new. Wow, brand new, still in the, the plastic. Casing with the you know the was key, the bag and the, all that the bag everything everything amazing um, and he had a box of them it wasn't just he had a box of them it was some story about they'd been found in Saudi Arabia or the Middle East or something wow. and he had these this box of three o threes that he was oh, selling I off. never do that man. can you imagine that makes, me, that makes me water at the mouth uh, can you imagine what they'd be worth now you know uh, what was it two grand for a Aye. original three o three now 
Um, but yeah, I had these COCs and I had no idea how to to work them <laughs> at all and so I took one of them and uh, they said you come to Holland Flyers over and Midtown Records will pay everything you come and you're going to record this track called The Future and so once Neil so they had already had the concept they had of the concept the they had the concept right, and right. it was this kind of meeting of minds between Scotland's rave scene and the Dutch rave scene right, right. Gonna, with, oh, with that kind of Scottish piano thing going on and they are Hoovers and horns uh-huh. and a rave scene, and so that that was the idea. And of course, Neil was going to MC on it because they didn't really have a voice yeah. as, at the front. Of they had Patrick fronting it sometimes, but they didn't. They wanted the energy of Neil on the, on their track, like I guess like what Ultrasonic, uh-huh. more you know more MCing on it. Yeah. And so once Neil knew the name, he he was writing away even on the plane. He was writing away and you know lyrics and stuff like that. And, I guess um, the twos are quite nervous because this is a big ask. We, we were. Come we on were, and write a hit record. We didn't have any, uh, there was no kind of fear about it, but you know, just excitement. Aye. And, and uh, I guess knowing that we were going to learn a lot as well to, to, to see how they produced their Aye. music. We were in Misha's studio in his house and it was the first time we'd ever worked with uh, computers, with sequ- MIDI sequencing yep. and, and on computers. We'd seen how to, we saw how to do it. Was it Cubase or something? Cubase, yeah, yeah. Um, and so... It was an amazing experience, and they had some ideas, so did we, and and it just all came together. The structure came together, the big dramatic intro with the big, that big amazing Hoover sound at the start of it. The big war. Yeah. What, what was that? Was that synth coming? Yeah, it was, and, and in fact, when Misha was last over, we asked him about that, and he, he, David David was very keen to find out what synth that was. And uh, he told him, I can't remember, but it's, it's a vintage synth, obviously, and. Uh, to get your hands in one going to cost you a thousand I can't remember which one yeah. David would be able to tell you Aye. which synth it was that he used for that um, but the, the interesting thing with the 303 was we didn't we didn't get to the 303 until the second day thank God uh, because <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't have a scooby what I was doing with this yeah. I was like how does it work it was very much trial error really it was and I just uh, hitting every button and, and I, I remember uh, we were staying in, in Misha's house and I, I remember in bed with my headphones <laughs> on trying to get this damn thing to work I'm like <laughs> Christ feeling a wee bit of pressure aye then I was and you know, I knew how to do all the cuffs and filtering yeah, and resonance yeah. and you know and the slide button yes, you know. <laughs> yes. But, but getting the getting the patterns right and, and you know that would be that would really fit with the track so once I sussed it in bed that night I must have written 20 or 30 patterns and we just random we just flew through them in the morning and it's found the one that stuck and so well, that's the one that's the pattern uh-huh. And then we we just nailed it, and and, we, and the thing was, you, was, was that the one? Did that just seal the track? When you've got to absolutely. that, absolutely, that it's just and, all fell into place. And when Neil heard it, he was like, "Yes, I mean, it really inspired him." Mm-hmm. And so we had to put record- it through a guitar pedal and all that kind yeah, of part. Yeah, we ran distortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what what we what we did? There was no audio then. There was you know there was no audio in the in the in the Atari or whatever. You know it was all MIDI. Yep. So everything was live. So. When when we had everything finally mixed, you know all the levels ready, and Neil in the booth, yeah. he's in the he's in the booth. I'm, I'm on the three o three, and we press start, and we're recording the whole thing onto a yeah. dat tape. One take, one take, and and we recorded it. And Neil, that was oh, one, right, one take of the track. Aye. even like the live three o threes and the vocals. And aye, brilliant. And, and Neil was just just click phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal, and that was it done. Brilliant. So, and, and, we and then after it, you're just like, pfft. when we listen, feeling the energy. Yeah, we're like that. Jesus, that's going to rip hanging apart, uh-huh. and we couldn't wait to get back and play it the following week. Aye. and it did, it did. 
it was a, that was again another moment where we you know when the start of that track and I introduced it I said look we've, we've, we're just back from Holland we've produced a track you know what we think is going to work in here see what you think and Boom. started it and the place went ballistic uh-huh. So that was a great experience. Aye. Seeing something that you've made, you know, like yeah. for, 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 for like a chat, for booking guys, yep. relationship building, they invite you and then just boom, check that out. And, and, and was, you know they did a few other tracks with them as well, didn't you? We did, yeah. I did a few with Patrick um, and we, at that point then I realised, right, okay, I've got to get a computer. So, I, I, and I, in fact, I did, I, I was going to say I had a Mac to start with, I didn't, I had an Atari, I started with an Atari and Atari Cubase. ST, isn't it? Um, Amiga. And, aye. And I had my house in Troon and got decent monitors and I started buying more keyboards and building my yeah. you know, my studio up. And yeah, re- recording things. And that's when Mark Sherry came on to the scene as well. Mark appeared on the scene. Mark was going to a hangar. He was a regular hangar. He was just a rave on the Yeah, crowd. he was. Yeah, he was there every week, every week without fail. And he was, he was really, really good DJ himself at that point. And he wanted to get into production. And Mark and I started working together as well with the Casio Brothers thing. Had that um, happened while you still at the hangar, the Casio Bros thing? I, I know when you're up in uh, Glasgow. I can't remember. It must have been, if it was, might just have been just at the end of hangar. Did you ever put any stuff out just solo as Trevor Riley? Mm, but, but, uh, oh, you went on to that, but with, at that rave time? At the rave time, no. Not on my own. There's, there's something good about working in a collective or yeah. working, bouncing ideas off people. Yeah. Um, so you, you've. Go to, I mean, even like the Castle Brothers thing, the last anthem thing, and mm-hmm. the stuff you went on to do that—that mm-hmm. that was brilliant. Yeah, it was our kind of take on Happy Hardcore. Right. You know, I mean, you've got still gone too mental. Yeah, and- you've got Scott Brown and people like that doing doing his thing, and it was our kind of take on it. Um, it was quite melodic and extremely cheesy. Great fun to make. Um, Mark's very musical. Um, he brought a lot of music to the table. A mm-hmm. lot. He would find notes and melodies that you know, I was like wow where'd you get that from mm-hmm. so he was, he, right from then he was he had a good ear for music yep. you can t- listen to him now but amazing but, but yeah back then he was he was a, the sort of music driver behind it and was was Love Life in with all, all that Love as Life well Love Life was in with that as well I mean what happened how that happened um, we had an acapella from Media Records uh, Hold Me In Your Arms and we initially we speeded it up to about like 170 odd BPM it was like one of these chipmunk uh, kind of uh, helium voices and we did a happy hardcore mix of it um, and that was incorporated in the Casio Brothers set and then we got DJ Tizer over and, and Eddie Ray they came over and did a mix as well DJ Tizer yeah, and uh-huh. Eddie Ray uh-huh. win yourself a mountain bike <laughs> <laughs> so, used to hear that on a radio station over there strange um, but aye and so but everybody could hear the potential Mark and I could hear the potential in that track to slow it down and make a club version of it and get a professional singer up to re-record the lyric and of course um Bill Granger had signed the Casio Brothers and he knew about Debbie Miller who sang for TTF and so Bill phoned Debbie and asked her if she'd come up for a day to Scotland and we'd actually tried a couple of local singers not professional singers and it just didn't have that snap it just didn't sound really powerful well my goodness when Debbie Miller came up and sang it uh, in my studio in Glasgow Wow, I, I, we we couldn't believe it, and we got a professional uh, guy, one of the guys from Sound Control, to come in and record it properly for us because we didn't know. Was it on audio or just tape? On or? audio, right? And we, we were winging it, uh, but that you know, I, I, no, was it? It might have been on that. Might have been on that tape. I'm not sure. 
because we I didn't have audio yet. I didn't have audio in Cubase uh-huh. at that point. Maybe, maybe it was on tape, sixteen inch tape or I something. No. I had Ada as well. I had track. Yeah. Anyway, she when she sang it, it was like, whoa, Clicked. this is amazing. So we got her recording of it, and that was great. And then we went into Apollo Studios. And we re-recorded the whole thing with Andy Haldane with with Debbie's vocals, and that's how we ended up with the Casio Brothers Love Life mix that everybody knows now, um, which became she's oh, like a, a Scottish huge club, club anthem. anthem you know? I mean, all I think it could still be remixed and brought. Everybody up to says date. that. Yeah, I know, but it's just maybe it's just ingrained in people's memory. Uh-huh. But you know, it's one of the ones where you could play it. Uh, uh, Barbara's fiftieth, I know, you know, or 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 or, 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 or Brian's fucking fortieth, yep. you know, or or yeah. even like a a club a club uh-huh. night full of the young yeah. team. They know they'd all get into it. It just uh-huh. it's just something about it. I think I, I I tend to take it for granted that some of these tracks that I've been involved in, I haven't produced a lot over the years, but what I have produced has had some sort of impact. I said a huge know. impact. I, so I take it for granted that they're out there, and I, I every now and again I sit and go, oh, wow. I, I was involved I, in that. That's what I think's just great about just the passage of time, and it allows you, you know, I, you get some people go, oh, I could don't look back and all that, but I think you really have to just yeah. step back and go, wow, to appreciate. I yeah. to appreciate because it's only because when you're in the moment, you don't know what the hell's going on. You're yeah. thinking about what's happening next week, or yeah. you, you don't really enjoy it for mm-hmm. for the moment. So yeah. why not look back and really and enjoy it, enjoy yeah. it, and yeah, appreciate sure. it because you never did it at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. It's, there's a there's a there's a future. There's the Casio Brothers. There's the what's the what's what, what? Love Life. <laughs> Love Life. Mm-hmm. Run about this time. When's the when's your solo product? How's that coming about? Is that you're you're doing mere gigging? Yeah, I was doing. I more don't want to go into too much about the the fall of the hangar that's pretty much well yeah. documented. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty Sad traumatic, times. and yeah, it was a terrible time, and 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 that. That almost made me quit. Um, is that really like a, a I just crossroads for you? I, completely. It took me a long while to get my head around what had happened and and whether I wanted to continue or not. Um, why are you Why are you feeling like whether you wanted to continue? What's if you don't mind asking? Just because of the, I guess the media attention, the reputation that the the place got. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how upsetting the whole thing was. Yep. And I just thought, yeah, you know, I, I don't. I don't know if I want to be involved in this anymore. Uh-huh. Um, and there, there, there was a time where I kind of quite gladly walked away. Yeah, and, and I did at one point, as we can come to. But um, slowly but surely, I kind of got my myself back on track, get my confidence going, and, and I had my studio in Glasgow. Started producing my own music and recorded down with the underground. I got signed to Manifesto Records. How did how did that come? Up? That's what I wanted to. You know, you obviously uh-huh. just been chipping away at production. Away at production. Productions. And the thing is, back then, you're self-taught. There was no right. tutorials online. There was no online. Only people you could turn to is maybe other producers or nip somebody's ear that's yeah. you're playing alongside Asked or whatever. Little tips and tricks yeah. here and there. You're, you're generally, you're learning. You're winging it, completely yeah. winging it. Um, it was almost that mentality as well. Like, like it was talked about earlier, hiding the white labels. <laughs> when you discovered some new trick... <laughs> yeah. Or some new sample or something. You very much kept it to yeah. yourself because you wanted to put that into your records yeah. yep. and go check this out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then happily tell somebody mm-hmm. how you done it. But you yeah. wanted to find that new trick. Well, well, down with the underground for me was the first sort of real solo thing that I had worked on, and it had it, 
originally had it was a 303 driven track oh, right. and it had a sample of Mad Mike from Underground Resistance uh-huh. do you remember him? aye aye and it's a sample from a it was a sample from an album live in Utrecht and he's screaming are oh, you down with the underground and it was a brilliant sample and um, so I made this it was almost like a hard floor type of track and 303 driven big breakdown with him giving it this are oh, you down with the underground and then the 303 kicking in and I'd, I'd just completed it and Stevie Kerr you know D, the DJ he was producing music in Apollo Studios at the time with Andy and he had made up a demo uh, say a five or six track demo and he was sending it out to all the different record labels and he came down to my studio and I was just listening to my track and he came in and he's like Trevor that's amazing do you want to give it to me and I'll add it on to my demo and I'll send it out with everything that I'm doing and I said oh thanks Stevie that would be great Anyway, he fired it out, you know, dat tapes, and they sent them away out by post. Mad, and it? I, let's, I can't remember what day that was, maybe on a Monday or a Tuesday, but ever. Well, on the on the Friday night, I got a call to my house, and it was a guy called Eddie Gordon, who at the time I think was Judge Jules' manager, or he was involved with the label with him, and they were in a car driving to a gig and they had Down With The Underground on in the car he must have had the demo and put it on a tape or whatever he'd, he'd is this done. a raw one with the three the three raw one and he said you Trevor Riley I said yeah he said we want to sign this track and we're really serious and he introduced himself he said I'm, I'm in the car with Judge Jules right now we're going to sign this track off you had you met Jules before that or anything no no any relationships? No. no and so he said he said look you're going to have to get a lawyer and we'll send you a formal offer, blah, blah, blah. And, it, and so it all went ahead. And, uh, you know, it was eye-watering figures back then for advances. The money was crazy. You Do know. I disclose that or will we keep that uh, under? It was a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah, and when there was money in music? Yeah. Then? Aye. And, and it was non-recoupable. It was, you know, it was just free money. There you Aye. go. Have that, son. See if we got on. Anyway, it, <laughs> but, and I, so I didn't have the money at this stage. So the next thing, a few weeks later, I got a call again. We've got a problem. And sample I'm, clearance sample clearance Mad Mike said no I'm like oh no you'll so, call Mad no, Mike for nothing no, yeah so he's like nah you're not using it's my voice so what can we do we'll, we'll re-record it and we'll get somebody in so I got a couple of guys MCs from Glasgow that thought they could do it and are you down with the underground just no nail <laughs> on it big man and I was like well this is shit so Eddie phone, he said, Trevor, you better come down, come down to London, because we're in a really tricky situation here. I want you to come and have a meeting with Judge Jules. Have they already paid you the advance? You've got that bank? No, I still don't have it yet. Right, so you're down there. I have it, yeah. <laughs> so, he told you were right beside him. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to do? So, we sat, and Eddie's like, look, Jules has got some ideas. Hi, Trevor, I'm Jules. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I've got some ideas for your track. And, and I said, what? So we're chatting away, and he said, why don't you... Um, why don't you put a violin or a trumpet or something? <laughs> put, put a trumpet in the. Oh, yeah, trumpet, you know. So, because <laughs> he like, used to, his DJ sets, he used to play the trumpet, trumpet. in the early days. And, yeah, so that was where he was coming uh-huh. from, and of course he's also a trumpeter as well. Yeah, and exactly, and all, and it, so all these egos in the one room. I'm like, oh, I, I wasn't cheeky about it. I, uh-huh. I just thought, oh, God, no, What's this is here? a hardcore three or three track. You want to put a violin or a trumpet in it? 
So we had the meeting and I, I got back in the plane and I thought, oh, calm down, you know, just get again, just got to make this work here. So flying back and I think, look, the guy didn't get where he is without knowing what he's talking about. You know, they are in really powerful positions. He was in Radio One at the time. He's the head of AR at Manifesto Records. You've got these guys, they really know their stuff. Listen to what the man's telling you. So by the time I got to Glasgow, I thought, right, where am I going to get? I, I quite fancy a violin. You know, I'm not a big trumpet fan, but mm-hmm. the violin, I love the sound of the violin, that's a Celtic idea. Royal College of Music. I'll phone, just, I'll phone them in the morning. So you phoned up the front desk at the Royal College of Music. Hello, I'm looking for a violinist, you know, a yeah. fiddle player. Uh, and the, the receptionist said, oh, hold on, I'll put you in touch with the lecturer. So I spoke to this guy, he said, I've got the very guy for you. Um, his name's Chris Stout. Uh, he's in his final year at Music College. He's one of the best fiddle players in the world. Um, uh, so he said, I'll, I'll send him down. So Chris came down that night. Wow. With his fiddle. The night of the phone call? Aye. Right. Came down, came into the studio. and uh, he's just setting up a mic to record this guy? Yeah, yeah. So he's from the Shetlands. It's uh, in his blood then, isn't it? He comes in with the full Shetland outfit on, you know, and hello there, how's he going? And, and, asked, and he said, so let me, hear, let me hear the track. And for all, he was a classically trained and uh, fiddle player. He liked dance music and, you know, and so I let him hear the track and he's like... You've restructured it by this time? I, I'd stripped it all back. Right. I'd stripped it back to the, you know, the do 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 the main lead sound. So it came what's, to the... What sort of tempo was I at again? Uh, 140. Right. So it came to the breakdown where there was basically nothing, a little arpeggio running. So he's ping, 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 tuned his fiddle up and then away he went and he played What's On Down with Underground. Just completely improvised and played this 16 bar. You, your eyes lighting up at this? And I was like, oh my God, that that is absolutely beautiful. And, I, and look, when I play something, I'll never play the same thing twice. I'll play something I've instantly <laughs> forgotten what it was. It's a fish with two second memory. You know? What did I just play that? Oh, Christ knows. And so I said, please tell me you can play that I said, again. Well, you're not even recording. No, I wasn't recording it. I was just, I wasn't recording. Please tell me you can play that again. And he played the exact same thing again. I was shaking with excitement. Amazing. I was like, this is unreal. So I got an ad, a recording booth, you know, a little vocal booth. So I got him sque- squeezed in there and I recorded the violin part. And I paid him a session fee for it and he signed a disclaimer, you know, that, uh-huh. that was it. And off he, he went off happy as Larry and I had my violin. And um, then I had just had to properly mix it into the track. I remember meeting you around about then in the... Uh, the no, the pressure. I will admit him, you're putting pressure on yourself as you uh-huh. do. The, the importance that this was to you and it was months nail, of work I nailing this mix yeah. I, I, and I remember I don't know if you we, we were we were coming around my studio we were listening to you or whatever and I could see how passionate you were yeah. about this this was like the, yeah this, this was it well it was my first big, big solo project yeah, yeah absolutely aye. yeah and and so I've, I've completed it recorded it down to that and sent it off and waited and waited and waited, you know, to aye, to aye, see to if it's approval. And they were over the moon. Eddie Gordon's like Trevor, you've nailed it. It's fantastic. We love it. And that was it. It got released. It got released globally. It was. It came out, and you know, it was in Australia. It was in Mexico, Brilliant. South Africa. A, a global release for it, and it just hit a nerve in, in in Mexico. It became a massive track in Mexico, and especially particularly in Mexico City. There was a radio station over there called W Radical and they it became their anthem. It was played daily on wow. there for about a year. It was their biggest tune in nineteen ninety seven. It was it was massive. And it ended up I ended up getting flown over there um, to DJ on their station for a week. 
uh, while I was working at Beat 106, uh-huh. I did live broadcast from Beat 106. I was on Beat 106, uh-huh. and yeah. Uh, you're not going to have enough time here, I know I, I mean then you get a ra- d- residency in the radio as well yeah. so you're earlier doing a ra- yeah so we- I was actually on I was working on Beat 106 when um, when the call came in from W Radical that they wanted to know if uh, is there Trevor Riley you've got the presenter is he the guy that wrote Down With Underground yes he is right we, we want you to send him over to us for a week and you're, he's going to broadcast your show the Club 106 show live, simultaneously live in Mexico City which it was in the afternoon and it would be going out and beat 106 Club 106 oh, at night brilliant, brilliant. and I was the DJ in the Aztec Stadium in front of 80,000 people Jesus. on the opening night as well and they had they had organised they had girls on like uh, these flying trapeze things uh-huh. with violins flying about above my head amazing it was it was just unreal it was surreal and the same night not on the bill but the guy Javier he that owned the radio station he then after he said come with me and we had this big Range Rover and off we went to and it was a, the four cornered bull ring 10,000 people in this bull ring Paul Van Dyke was playing and I got on as well. Wow. He's like, not to Van Davis, they got off. And I got on and I played uh, Operation Blade that wow. night. And the, the crowd disappeared. It was so funny because, you know, they're playing kind of deep techie stuff. Right. And I dropped, I dropped Blade. And because they were all dancing in the sand, they mm-hmm. weren't that mental. You couldn't see them. <laughs> just, just, it was just, they just disappeared in this <laughs> sand fog. Wow. It was really Surreal. amazing experience. That's amazing, man. Yep. And uh, so, as uh, you know, there's the Beat 106 residency. Uh, uh, would you say that's your, your peak there? Without that was a doubt. Pinnacle Without a doubt. I mean, uh, when I was on Beat 106, I was on the first year on Beat 106. I was one of the first presenters live on Which there. Was Scottish first Scotland's first dance music station. Yeah. It just brought dance music Dedicated into the homes of everybody. Yeah, yeah. And we. I remember making the demo up. I'd never been on radio in my life. And I made up this little kind of fictitious imaginary radio show that lasted five minutes. And I crammed everything into that five minutes. So I had a little competition. Mm-hmm. I had a kind of fake phone in. And it was it was really corny. But I thought, you know what? Got you the job. Send it. And, and I sent it. And I got a phone call. Come in for an interview. Having no experience at all. We'll give you a, a slot on a... I, I can't remember if it was a Friday. Might have been a Friday night I was on. And I was on every for a year. It was that Friday or Saturday. And then after a year, they sold Beat 106 was sold for a huge profit, millions and millions to Capital Radio. And at that moment, we all thought all of the kind of club DJs or must have thought, that's us, we are out. You know, this massive station's taking us over. We're all going to be, you know, binned. Um and the guy was Andrew Jeffries, I think the guy's name was. He was their kind of hitman. You know, he came up and he was going to sort everything out and right. everybody get pulled into the office one by one to be told whether they had a job or not. And I remember getting taken out for lunch and he's like, I love what you do. Love it. How do you fancy five nights a week? We're going to, wow. instead of just beat 106 at night, it's going to be called Club 106 and you're going to be one of the guys. And Stevie Kerr was going to be one of the ones, Lisa Littlewood. And uh, I said, absolutely, 100%. And that was the really when it really got going then, Beat 106 in that second year, when basically it was, we were rolling out the club. Uh, I always remember hearing you on radio and just thinking, you really sounded at home there on radio. Yeah. Did you I feel, did you, aye, I did you feel it. just, did it come naturally? It, completely. I absolutely loved it. 
I, I, that, I made a huge mistake uh, at, that, at that point as well. And when I got poached to go to Radio Clyde. Right. And at the time, it seemed like the really smart thing to do because I was on a high, you know, my name was well known. Clyde was, to me, even bigger. But they weren't a dedicated dance station. And I went probably for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Clyde, I don't get me wrong, for, for the couple of years I was there, it was great. But there was, wasn't going to be any longevity in it for me because I had a big sponsorship deal with Smirnoff when I went to Clyde. And that made Clyde, that was making Clyde a lot of money. But through no fault of my own, uh, Smirnoff pulled out of sponsoring radio shows globally at that point. And that was me. I was, you know, once the finance was gone, I was, I was, you know, treading water basically. Right. And it was fair play to Clyde. They hung on another year. I got another year out of them. But after that, that was me. I was out. And the only option really would have been get back to beat. But they just had burnt my bridges, right. I'm afraid. And, and that was it over. But I mean, that's just like, that's just, you know, this industry, the, the extreme highs and, the, and the, the lows. That would be my lowest point, Aye. without a doubt. Was you, was you thinking at that time, fuck it, yeah. I've had enough? I did, uh, and, and it, it uh, yeah, uh, completely, yeah. Before we go down that road, will we play some of your own productions and then just yeah. come back? Let's play down with Underground. Aye. Mm -hmm. I think we could just fling in an RB. Maybe you love life track in there enough. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hold me. <laughs>
or whatever people think about digital music, all the tracks that we've all wrote, they're really fingerprints. It's always going long yeah. past your existence. Yeah. They're always going to be out there, kind of thing. Yeah. Wee messages. I'm very proud of them. Right. Um, yeah. That's. I mean, like you say, it's, it's hard to be prolific, but the the darts that you've thrown in music have stuck. Yeah. It's quite a good wee analogy there. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the darts that you've threw. Bullseye, son. Uh-huh. Um, so I mean, you've just we were just before we went out the tracks. We spoke about you just felt hello then yep how did you I think that kind of what, what kind of year are we talking about 98, 99 sort of God. I think that, that it's so it, difficult to tell it, now it, all of that there's so much was, happened aye so much happening and so much changes yeah. happening I think I was I, I was in, I was in privilege I had a residency in privilege in Glasgow so I was back with Carnegie's yeah. again I was in with them in privilege I had a great couple of years in there uh-huh. uh, both whilst at Beat 106 and at Radio Clyde we used to do some live broadcasts from privilege um, through Radio Clyde and they were phenomenal nights that was a great experience as well and privilege lost its license that was another real body blow um, when privilege lost its license uh-huh. that was another nail in the coffin for me um, you just saw see it becoming one after the other yeah and there, there was that conscious move of like closing clubs and yep even musically where what's what's happening exactly next? maybe I don't I don't know if it the, we'd all been exposed to too much too too much good music yeah. too many good nightclubs mm-hmm. the rave scene it all had to implode at some point didn't yeah. it yeah and I think for me personally I'm thinking the 98-99 was maybe even going into 97 mm-hmm. it was just this fucking what, what, what's going on man yeah, yeah. I'd still at that point so I just remembered that you know I'd got in tow with Simon Foy and we produced Hands Up fucking and, hell and, and, <laughs> right. and got in top of the falls right. and that, that what very, year was that 2000 and I was it 19 I can't remember aye, aye, aye. Would, would that be the week and a wee resurgence again because then I think like the 2000s odds was you get that wee spur again and things picked up uh, yeah uh, yeah and is this happening in between it was in between and Simon had come to me um, he was doing Inside Out at the yeah. time and and you've already had Down and Underground yeah out and yeah and, and, and so in the the original hands up was by the Black and White Brothers and all the mixes on the original weren't that great but what they did was they put the acapella on there as well and Simon must have been using the acapella quite a lot and he'd said to me look do you fancy we'll do a mix of it you know and so anyway I said oh brilliant so he came down to my house I was living down in Auckland at the time and he came down one Sunday afternoon and we nailed it in an afternoon mm-hmm. uh, just all sample based we used the JD800 that you've got sitting mm-hmm. here for the lead sound and um, by the end of the just day just all fell together aye we had, we had it finished by the end of the day he took it away and he played it inside out and he said the crowd went mental you know it was just going crazy and Billy Kilty he signed it uh, to 23rd Precinct uh, I think he released a thousand white labels of it and I put a track on the the B side of it myself um, called Vision of Heaven um, which Jules played on Radio 1 as well it was uh-huh. another track that I felt I could have done a bit more with uh, but it was a nice track it was my kind of take on Out of the Blue right right um, not as good as Out of the Blue but it was, I, I was influenced by it inspired by it uh, um, but yeah and and then of course it was a substance part of Ministry of Sound one of the guys down there heard hands up I'd, I'd tell you who got behind it was Dave Pierce on Radio 1 he was playing it nightly for months uh-huh. and commercial club track they, again aye and they signed it and it got to number 12 in the UK <laughs> charts it sold 60,000 copies in wow. its first week 
and, and you get the call today top of the pops get, so, aye, we couldn't believe it you're going to do top of the pops and that again surreal. was an amazing experience uh, and you've, you've been on top aye, of the pops aye, aye. And gas to leave as well the bed, they give you free drink and then expect you to behave yourself do you meet all these tenders casting aye, all exactly. up aye, it just gets a bit mental aye, we, you know, we, we did uh, I think it was kind of a Sunday we, you did rehearsal in the afternoon and then I just go to the bar and we'll give you a shout aye. and we're ready for you I was leathered by the aye. time I went on aye, I, I, you know. we get we were getting some nick and I, I can't remember when we played it but Robbie Williams was there Beyonce like wow. Destiny's Child and then us uh-huh. and then I remember the pivotal moment for me was I was that far gone I seen the actor who plays Ian Beale for EastEnders uh-huh. in reality in fantasy just I don't know mixed up and I was like Team Beale you snidey wee cunt <laughs> And the guy, I mean, it's just in a corridor. I, I don't know what came over me. And he just looked at us like, oh dear. No, this, what? I thought it was a the Ian Beal. Because yeah. I'd been like, I don't yeah. know, fucking watching yeah. these tenders. Yeah. And, I, and I remember then kind of walking by, but mm-hmm. angry then walking by yeah. and going, what the mm-hmm. fuck are you yeah. doing? Yeah. No long after that, we got mm-hmm. to leave the top of the box yeah. bar just for being drunk, but... Sounds like you had a better time. I, I, it's slightly better, but I was pretty drunk when I was, right. on, when I was on. But a great experience. My top of the pops, grained in his feel yeah. it. Yeah, and it's something else. I mean, my son, uh, he's in a band, my 30-year-old son, Hamish. He's in a rock band called Vakovi, and I keep winding him up about that. That's my claim to him. I'm like, right, you hit. Come on. Right, you hit. <laughs> no matter how good you are, yeah. you've never been taught to pops yeah, like yeah, your dad's son. I, know, I, I think it just shut down just after I was on. <laughs> 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 Everything I touched. <laughs> privilege shut down. Top of the pops, shut. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and you, you just a, get to experience mm, top of the pops. I and I want to give a plug for Hamish and his band because they're absolutely amazing. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, the remixes yeah. I've just done is just yeah, outrageous. outrageous. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. We've been going to closing with some of your newer productions. Okay, but um, again, just to kind of let everybody know, I mean, the extreme highs and the extreme lows. Yep. You've got to a point where you've just you walk, you've walked away. You pretty much, yeah. I, in fact, yeah, I did. I drew a line in the sand and said, "That's me. I'm out." And I, and I, I think because I've had other, as I said at the start other influences in my life like the sea the sea seems to be a bit of it's my sanctuary if you mm-hmm. like um, I'm very very passionate about the sea and boats and stuff like that That's, and so I, I kind of return to that it's Just, a stark contrast when you think being in a club full of thousands to yeah. 80,000 people yeah. to then being in a sea when yeah. it's due maybe just a couple of people yeah. or just yourself yeah, just me sometimes you know there's mm-hmm. there isn't any in between yeah. there isn't there yeah. no? it's, it's been my saviour at times um, and I, I'm very very passionate about it and that's where I'm at now uh, well I've got that combination now I've, I've seemed to have I seem to have found the balance now of being able to have my my sea time and I've got a job a full full time job that I work at sea but it allows me to indulge in my music and obviously coming back and I, and I had no intentions to be honest I had no intentions of coming back to DJ and our music it took me a while to get you to it, talk I, I did, I, I did. <laughs> and, you know, and absolutely thank you so much for doing it because I think if it, if it hadn't been for you I probably would still wouldn't be back no. I, I, I just I'd fallen out of love with the scene and music and just one let down too many for me I'd just done it and you know maybe I've given I should take responsibility for that as well that you know I, I made some bad decisions Um but I'm so happy to be involved again yeah. and I think we've spoke about it it's about picking the right ones and know the shite ones absolutely and that was one of the first things you said to me if you're going to come back you know 
stick with the, the decent gigs and don't right. do them because it's all the wee ones yeah. it's just you go down the wrong pass yeah. and you're mingling without sounding uppity like, and with people you don't want to be mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. you can quite easily fall off the, yeah. the path can't yep. you yep. whereas at least if I, my, I don't know if you're the same my kind of view on it is I, I still try to make each gig a social occasion where there is people there that I want to be with yeah. I don't mind spending the time because uh-huh. it just it, I can almost I'm trying to trick myself like it's still a good fun night out yeah and it's there's no that pressures of mm-hmm. work or I need to Aye. go all in and fucking it just becomes messy again yeah. can I yeah. try to get that balance mm-hmm. and then also you, you know you, the, I think the longer you date the harder it is mm-hmm. I think for, yeah, for, for you to have longevity in this in this game you've got to screw the nut you know, you've got to you know have a balance in your life. You as know well. yourself if you if you kept carrying on mm-hmm. the crazy side of things, yeah. you'd be in a box. Yeah, I might not be here. Aye, aye. Yeah. yeah. And, and and the age thing for me, I, I kinda talked myself into the fact that I was too old, you know, and I think that that gave me that kind of yeah, if I ever thought about going by ah, you're too old now, you know, I was, this is me speaking to myself. Uh-huh. I'm too old. Not when you're irrelevant now in that scene, you know, why would why would anybody want to hear you or anything? And you know, when you asked me to come back and do the ninety four gigs I didn't want to do it at first, you know, and I, I was I know, telling I remember you that, you saying, no, you know, no, I'm not, you know, why? I'm so glad I did, and I'm so glad you asked me, because that first 1994, it was amazing, mm-hmm. and I and I realised then that I still had something to offer. Right. Um, and even for me doing it, I didn't actually want to do it, yeah. unless I had, you know, that, in my head, it was you and Joe, mm-hmm. and me, and then like another guest just to do a wee maybe a bit harder thing. That yeah. that that was always a blueprint mm-hmm. in yeah. my head, you know. And and I had I had to get you on board yeah. for it to become a night that I wanted to yeah. go to. Yeah. Because I'd be lying if mm-hmm. I just fucking stuck anybody yeah. on. Yeah. I'd be lying to myself. Because I had that credibility of it was around. You know, ninety four was a I, huge time for the, us all. Aye, mm-hmm. these are the guys that are responsible yeah. Yeah, for we it. Were there. Aye, these are the guys yeah. that delivered your mm-hmm. music. What I'm saying about the age thing isn't now I've, I've I've turned it around I've turned it on its head really that now I, I kind of my age is a badge of honour the Aye. fact that I'm still it's your sergeant it, it is it is you know I'm still standing I'm still here uh-huh. I'm still I can still contribute something yeah. and through now being involved with Davy Forbes again which is just unreal to be working with that guy um, to be able to produce you know new material. Aye. That is outstanding. Just um, still pushing things forward. It's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. So onwards and upwards. Aye, man. I mean, it's good. And again, I, I think you know. Again, some people, you know, don't get the credit it's worth to looking back. But it's. I think you need to look back, and it was like the old school thing that got you back out. Yeah. You've you have to embrace the past yeah. to then move forward. Forward. Yeah. You know, and and it. Had you know had that spark. Maybe when they gave you the spark to try and write some new stuff, and I, and I genuinely think we're at a time now where music, the old stuff, is still as relevant now and influencing a lot of the new stuff. It's almost full circle. You especially look at some of the techno stuff. Yeah, these guys are listening to early nineties mm-hmm. yep. rave. Yeah, and try to bring that back into what they're doing, and you know. It's almost kind of like we were there in the sixties. We were there in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it, you know, for me, the big influence was the three hundred three. I was, I don't know if it was yourself. I was talking about Davy. That you know, the TB three hundred three, the acid box that we all love so much. 
I think from a DJ non-musician point of view it's an instrument that a DJ can play yep. it's not that and a drum machine yeah because it's buttons Aye. you're not playing you know chords or it's not yep. too complicated it's got buttons and it's got knobs that you can twiddle with uh-huh. and it's so DJ friendly and it's so intuitive and you can you can create something out of nothing with it Aye. and that's why I love the 303 so much and I've embraced it now to the point where my productions that, I, that I'm doing myself um, the 303 is going to be out a major part centre front this year. well I'll put a stereo pan on it but it'll be centre that's spread on there but, do you know what I mean it'll aye, be, it's, aye, it's aye. going to be out there featured so it's kind of I guess the 303 DJ Trevor on the 303 I'm a, I, I identify with it and it identifies with me. Aye. So th- that's the way I'll be looking at my productions. That if, you know, like I say, I've got a remix I'm doing for Davey Forbes at the moment. It didn't have a 303 in it. It's got one now. Um, so that's that's the way I'm looking at my productions. Again, it's such a timeless instrument, isn't it? it I mean, is. If you're looking at it for the early 80s, I think I was doing a bit of digging and the group Orange Juice was the first commercial record to release a record with... Uh, a 303 wow. in it. Wow. No, that rip it off, rip it up, That's the first credited 303 track. But they programmed it like a baseline. And when you go back and listen to that track, you uh-huh. can hear it. But then obviously it just went a few years mm-hmm. later and been. Because that's, that's why it was built. Aye. To be a, a bass a player. A bass player for, for guitarists. I know. To learn their guitar, mm-hmm. for lead guitarists mm-hmm. to practice in the house. The, the funny thing with the 303 as well, it's, it's got this kind of little mind of its own. It, it, you know, you never know what it's going to spit out. You can hit all the buttons and twist all the knobs, but you've no idea Aye. sometimes what that it's that randomness? Gonna, yeah, Aye. and that's what makes it so exciting. You never know when you're going to get that killer pattern coming out of uh-huh. it. You know, Aye. probably they, a lot of them are done by chance. Oh, I, 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 I think anybody who tells you I had this pattern in my head and I sat down and done lies. Just stop right there, you're a liar. And it, because you can start with the yeah, idea, yeah. but it's going to go away yeah, yeah. somewhere else. I think you actually showed me years ago how to put a, a space mm-hmm. in program with uh-huh. the pattern. Uh-huh. I've never forgot. But mm-hmm. all the wee tips, you, should, you know, yeah. you're happy arrest, to share them. I arrest, yeah. share it and talk, you know, it's like... And again, it was probably like you saying to your man, if you have how'd you get the slide in? He went to slide. The slide button. You, and I went, well, how'd you get mm-hmm. up? And you went, so well, mm-hmm. just And you know, the, the TB03, the new one, it's got randomised now on it. Have you, have you to get a randomised pattern, yeah. right? I just keep hitting that and right. hitting it and hitting it. And it's fantastic. And you can randomise it so you can also randomise, you keep your pattern and randomise the accents the, yeah, and, and the, the slides. Yeah. And I, so yeah. you've... Amazing, man. And yeah. it's that randomness and then the human element of tw- tweaking it. Yeah still gives it a human element a lot machines and the thing with the, the resonance and the filter tweaking you know you can automate that all you want but there's nothing better than when you're actually hands, hands on, on right. as a DJ and you're doing it live uh-huh. you can't draw that in aye I know aye you can't draw the gaps or yeah. moments or bulge Ah, it's brilliant, man. Oh, you, we could do a full podcast just on talking the about the love of the 303 yep. which you should that's do. an idea <laughs> yeah. yep. but so mate to wind it up, I can't thank you enough. It's been long overdue. We've spoken about it for ages. Yep. We've finally did it. Uh-huh. Now, you want to pick a couple of tracks? For, I mean, it'd be great to finish with your productions that you're mm-hmm. doing right now. Uh-huh. And also let everybody know, like Facebook or something like that, where can they get hold of you? Where can they see what's going on? On Facebook, on Instagram, you'll find me on there. Um, As... I've got my DJ Trevor Riley Facebook page um, and my productions are on there as well I I would love to play um, Davey and I's 
remix of Vakovi, which is your I'm, son's I'm band. Wired, my son's band, um, Janine Shellstone, the singer. She's from Solcoats, I think. For, wow. you're, you're from. Uh-huh. What a voice well, that girl's got, and what a great songwriter. Um, Hamish does the music. Janine does, his, yeah. Janine does the vocals. They're, they're amazing. Uh-huh. And when I heard the album, and I, I'm, I'm always looking for in his music something that's around the 140 or 70 BPM to fit into a yeah. trans track. And sure enough, I'm Wired popped up, and I was like, right, that's getting there. Been kicking about for a few. Mm-hmm. I remember you let me hear the track going. Wait to hear this because yeah. you've been thinking about that yeah. for a while, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. And da- and I just Davy. When I let Davy hear it, he wanted to do it straight away mm-hmm. when he heard that vocal. You know, and eyes are popping out your head when yeah, you hear it. Fantastic. So it's on Beatport. It's out, it's out just now. It just came out on Monday. Uh-huh. Um, so you can get it on Beatport on Spotify and iTunes and all places. So there's that and. Um, by tomorrow night, hopefully, the remix that I'm doing for Davey um, will be completed. Well, so send probably it's not going to be out for a couple of weeks, All so right, hopefully okay. we can get a play of, the, of that. Right. If it fits in with the release timing and you're happy to... Perfect. If no, we're going to end up with this okay. remix, which is... Okay. You can't argue with that, can yeah. you? Right. Better Excellent. way to end the show. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Mal. Great <laughs> to see you. <laughs>
Hello there. Hello, well, hello. Right, that's us running. So, 